Heavenly Father, we do thank you for giving us your word. And Lord, we thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit so that we can understand it. Lord, we pray that you would give us much of your Holy Spirit this morning so that we can comprehend these words of Jesus today, so that we can live more like him before yourself. And we pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, last week uh, was the last day of the school holidays on Monday. And so for a special treat for our children, we decided we'd go to the zoo. So we went over to Taronga Zoo here in Sydney and took the children there. And I'm quite happy to go to the zoo and I'm quite happy to be led around by the children that we will go and see what they want to see. Pippa's favourite animal at the moment is the zebras. Joshua's has perpetually been monkeys uh, from a very young age. And so we always have time for the chimpanzees and for any other monkeys that we can find as well as the zebras. And I'm happy to wander around and not really direct where I would like to go at the zoo what animals I would like to see. Except there is one animal in particular that I do love at the zoo and we were going near it and so I said, can we please, please just go over and see this animal? And that is the condor birds that they have at our zoo. They have the condor birds and they, I just love them because they have one of the greatest wingspans of birds in the world. They have these huge wings and, uh, and they actually have a model up of other birds and how big their wingspan is and then the condors just surpasses them. So they have like an eagle's wingspan and the condors and it's just huge. And so we were close to the enclosure and so I decided, yes, let's go over and see the condor birds and uh, have a look at them. And they must, have, the, they must have seen me coming because as soon as I arrived at the uh, condor bird exhibit, uh, he jumped up on a rock and then spread his wings for me. And so it was just wonderful to be there and uh, a little gift from him uh, to myself to see how great his wings are. And so Jill then, of course, uh, grabbed the camera, saw this bird with his wings spread and was trying to get photos of him. And Jill's an excellent photographer and I really like her photos. But uh, there was a real problem because the camera just kept on focusing on the wire that was protecting us from the condor birds and couldn't get the condor bird in the background, which was, of course, what she wanted. She wanted the camera to focus on the bird, not the wire mesh. Because, if we don't, of course, we don't care about the wire mesh unless, of course, the bird was to come towards us, then we'd be really uh, glad that it's there. But we weren't wanting the wire mesh there. And it's quite a, um, you can't sort of hold your camera up over the wire mesh at that particular place. It goes right up. And, uh, and so she just had this real struggle to get this marvellous moment where the condor bird was widening his wings and spreading them out for us to see. And that's an illustration that I think helps us to understand what's going on in this passage that we're going to be looking at this morning, verses 11 and 12 of John chapter 4. I encourage you, if you've got a black church Bible, have it open to page 1052 as we look at John chapter 4, verse 11 and 12. Because we've been going through this passage and it's about this woman, this Samaritan woman, that Jesus is speaking to. So Jesus has been in Judea. He has then left and is going back to Galilee. And on the way, he has to go through Samaria. And he has met this woman at a well. And then he has said these words to her that are thought-provoking. He has said to her, he's asked for a drink. And she said, how can you ask me for a drink? And then he said the words that we find in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. And so last time I preached on this text, I preached on verse 10 and looked at what does it mean that Jesus has living water? And now we're going to look at the woman's response to Jesus' words. He has said, 
you could, if you knew who was speaking to you, you would have asked him for this water, this living water, and now we're going to see her understanding of what he has said. And the thing is, she makes two mistakes, and they're two mistakes that have to do with misfocusing on something. She's misfocused as Jesus has spoken to her. And so my first main point this morning is the first mistake that she makes. And if you want to follow my main points, they're there on the back of the church bulletin. The first is that people can wrong, wrongly focus only on the physical. People can wrongly focus only on the physical. When Jesus says to this woman that he would give living water, her response is to focus only on actual water, physical water. And we see that in verse 11. Verse 11, we read, Sir, so she's being respectful, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Jesus says, I've got living water. And she says, Hang on, you haven't got a bucket. That's what it literally says in the Greek. You have, haven't a bucket, and the well is deep. How are you going to get this living water? How can you provide water to me when it's very clear you don't have the means by which to provide physical water to me? And so Jesus has spoken about living water and then she has taken him purely in material terms. She's focused in on actual water. And this is a common mistake when Jesus speaks to people. They focus in on the physical rather than in on the spiritual meaning that he has in his words. And an example of this has come immediately before in John chapter 3. A Samaritan woman, you might expect to focus in on the physical rather than the spiritual, but a Jewish rabbi, a well-respected Jewish rabbi, Nicodemus, had spoken to Jesus in John chapter 3, and when Jesus spoke to him, he focused in on the physical. Look with me back to John chapter 3, verse 3. John chapter 3, verse 3. Just flip back one page. And Jesus has this man, Nicodemus, uh, and we see in verse 1 it says he's a member of the Jewish ruling council, so he's not uh, an unimportant person. He's very important, and he comes to speak to Jesus, and then Jesus speaks to him in verse 3, and in reply, Jesus declared, I tell you the truth, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he is born again. Jesus says to him, you must be born again. And what's Nicodemus' response? Verse 4. How can a man be born when he is old? Nicodemus asked. Surely he cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb to be born. What's Nicodemus doing there? He's focusing in on the physical, on the material, rather than the spiritual meaning behind Jesus' words. He's saying, how can a man who's fully grown go back inside his mum and be born again? And when you see the size of some people when they're uh, fully grown, and I mean, you just think, wow, and particularly when you see some children and they actually tower above their mothers and you go, it just ain't possible. It, how could that person go back inside that other person? It's just impossible. But that's what Nicodemus is doing there. He's saying, you're being ridiculous to Jesus. Why? because he's only focusing in on the physical. He's focusing in on the material. And this doesn't, just doesn't happen with Nicodemus and just doesn't happen with the Samaritan woman. We see it also happen later in John's Gospel in John chapter 6. John chapter 6, turn with me there to verse 51, found on page 1057 of the Church Bibles. John chapter 6, verse 51. 
Jesus is speaking to the Jews. And then he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus says, I'm bread, and I will give my flesh for the life of the world. And then verse 52, what, do, what is the response of the people who hear? Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? They've heard Jesus say he is the bread. They say that, you know, they've heard Jesus say that my flesh gives life. And then they just go, hang on, this isn't possible. Is he wanting us to become cannibals and eat him? This doesn't make sense. And why is it not making sense? Because they're focusing in on the material rather than the spiritual meaning behind Jesus' words. And so it doesn't matter if you're a Samaritan woman who's had five husbands or a Jewish ruler, they still make the same mistake of focusing in on the material, the physical, rather than the spiritual. And this is a problem that people have today as well. There's actually a name for people who focus in on the material and have no focus on the spiritual, and that's called those who follow materialism. There's materialists out there. The Webster Dictionary definition of, a, of materialism is a theory that everything can be explained as being or coming from matter. Everything can be explained as being or coming from matter. Another definition is that a doctrine of materialism is a doctrine that only or the highest values lie in material well-being and material progress. Only or the, and the highest values lie in material well-being and material progress. Another definition is that it's a doctrine that economic or social change is caused by material factors. Economic or social change is caused by material factors. It's all about the material. Or it can be materialism is a preoccupation with or stress upon material rather than intellectual or spiritual beings. And then one last statement about materialism is that the material is all there is. And they do not consider the supernatural at all. They say the only thing that exists is what I can see, the material, the physical. That is everything. There is no such thing as something that is non-material, that something can be spiritual. Now, not everyone is a materialist. You'd have to hunt around to find someone who is a pure materialist who says all that there is is physical. There is nothing spiritual. But often we can be preoccupied with the material at the expense of the spiritual. How often do you find yourself focused on the material rather than the spiritual? Are you often primarily concerned with physical life rather than spiritual life? Are you focused on physical health rather than spiritual health? Physical wealth rather than spiritual wealth? A physical home rather than the spiritual home that we have from God? Focused on physical family rather than the spiritual family that we enjoy? Physical clothing rather than spiritual clothing? The robes of righteousness that we should be hungering after from the Lord? We focus more on their actual physical clothing. We're more interested in our physical fashion than spiritual fashion and having robes of righteousness. 
What about physical work rather than spiritual work? How much are you more focused on doing physical work than spiritual work? What about physical battles rather than spiritual battles? You're quite ready to get in and with your fists to someone, but not so ready to go to spiritual war with the spiritual forces that are against us. And of course, coming back to what Jesus is speaking about here, how often are we focused on physical food rather than spiritual food? How often do, does your attention turn to physical food throughout the day? And how often does it turn to spiritual food throughout the day? Do you spend as much time eating physical food as you do spiritual food? Or is one much more focused than the other? And then of course, physical water and spiritual water. How often are you focused on physical water rather than spiritual water as Jesus is speaking about here? How do you know if you've lost your focus and are focused more on spiritual, uh, physical things rather than spiritual? Well, look at your time, look at your energy. What is it devoted to? Is it devoted to the physical at the expense of the spiritual? And what about your prayer requests? You may say you're a spiritual person and of course you remember spiritual things, but think about your prayer requests. What do you come to the Lord concerned about? Yes, you come to him in thanksgiving. Yes, you come to him in confession. But when you come to the supplication part of your prayer time, what are you concerned about that you want from the Lord? Are you concerned that the people around you and maybe you yourself are physically well? And your requests for spiritual wellness, for spiritual health, are minimized. You want people to have a physically healthy body and are not so interested in people having a spiritually healthy body. You're concerned to pray for physical wealth in this world rather than spiritual wealth in the next, the treasure in heaven. You're concerned to pray for your physical home, maybe some cracks are appearing in the side of the building and it's a real concern to you. And you rarely would pray about cracks that may be occurring in God's spiritual building, his people, and that heavenly home that we're concerned about to go to. And of course, the battles that we have. Do you pray more about having battles with people here on earth and you're concerned about the wars that may be going on around the world or the battle that you're just seeming to have with a coworker, someone that you don't get along with at work? And you're concerned to pray about that battle with them, but you're not concerned to pray about the spiritual battles that you face every day and that some of the people that you're concerned about are facing with opponents who are far more seriously damaging than the damage that a physical person can actually do. And so as we examine our lives, I think we must confess that we are often like the Samaritan woman. We are concerned more with the physical when Jesus speaks to us than the spiritual. And so we can't hear him speaking about the spiritual because we're so focused on the physical. We're more concerned about the physical, the material, rather than the spiritual. Now I have to be careful here because of course the physical is good as well. We're not minimizing the physical altogether. God has created the bodies that we have. He's created the material world that we live in the material home that you have, the material clothes that you have, the material food that you have, it's all a blessing from the Lord and not to be rejected. But we have to be careful about our focus and whether our focus is so much on the physical that when we're spoken to about the spiritual, we miss it altogether. 
because we're so engaged with the physical all the time. And so we're not open to a spiritual truth coming into our lives and to having spiritual concerns which should have our attention. And so I think we have a lot to learn from the Samaritan woman here. It would be easy to just gloss over it and just say, oh, we're not like that. Of course we would know that Jesus is not talking about physical water. We'd know that he's speaking about spiritual water. Well, would you? And when he talks about other things, do we focus in on the physical? We think that he wants us to be physically happy in this world and not concerned more about our joy and our happiness in the next life. So that's the first mistake that the woman makes. She misfocuses on Jesus' words and thinks about the material at the expense of the spiritual. What's the other mistake that she makes? Well, that's my second main point this morning. People can wrongly focus on God's people. People can wrongly focus on God's people. And we see that in John chapter 4, verse 12. So she says to him, uh, you have nothing to draw with in verse 11, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? And then she follows that up with something else in verse 12. She says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and herds? The Samaritan woman hears Jesus say that he has living water that is superior to the water that she is getting from this well. And she then makes a mistake of focusing in on the well itself and then on the person who gave the well at the expense of focusing in on Jesus Christ. The Samaritan woman reminds Jesus that Jacob was quite content with the water from this well. And Jacob is an important figure in the Old Testament. We just read uh, from Genesis that God revealed himself to Jacob as he was leaving uh, his land, he was leaving his family, and he reveals himself to, to Jacob. And Jacob is greatly blessed and has... Uh, the promises that have been given to his forefathers confirmed to him. And so Jacob is a, a big shot in the Old Testament. And the Samaritan woman has Jesus come, this random Jewish guy, sits down at a well, and she says to him, when he talks about having greater water than what she's getting from the well, she says, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that you're greater than our father Abraham. And she spells it out for him. Abraham was quite content to make a well here. And he was quite content to drink from that well. Jacob was fine with it. That's what she says in verse 12. Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well? He was quite happy to make it. And then he was happy to drink from it himself. It wasn't like Jacob had another water source that he was happy with and he dug that well and gave it to other people because he didn't want them coming to his, his place of water just like you might have a particular drink in the fridge that you really like, and so you really get another drink there to keep the others away from yours. Um, we kind of do that in our house. I, I really like my Diet Coke, um, but the kids aren't really supposed to drink it, so we have juice available for them, and, and, uh, and so that's what they drink, and they then stay away from my Diet Coke. Is that what Jacob was doing? He dug a well to give to others because he really preferred another water source and didn't want people tapping into it? No, the text says... He gave us the well and drank from it himself. And then also his sons were quite happy to drink from it. And his flocks and herds. It was very uh, sufficient water. It was okay, that water. And now you're coming along and saying that this well that was quite fit for Jacob, for Israel himself, 
and for his children and for his animals and for people who have had it for years, which is what she's talking about there. She's saying, who gave us the well for centuries. People have drunk from this well and it's been perfectly fine. And now you're coming along and saying, it's not good in comparison to the water that I have. Do you know what you're doing, she's saying to this man, this stranger that she's met? You're putting yourself above Jacob. So what is she doing? She is focusing in on one of God's servants at the expense of focusing in on God's son, God himself. She has a high regard for Israel, for Jacob, and a low regard for God's son. And this is a common problem that people have. They will exalt God's servants at the expense of God's son. She should have had Christ in her focus rather than Israel. But she's saying, I much prefer Jacob to you. And this is what people do in the New Testament as well, in John's gospel itself. John chapter 8, a similar situation comes up. John chapter 8, verse 51. Flip with me there. John chapter 8, verse 51. Jesus is again speaking to the Jews. And he says to them, I tell you the truth in verse 51 of John chapter 8. If anyone keeps my word, he will never see death. Pretty profound statement to make. If you keep my word, you will never see death. And the Jews are a bit outraged at this. And we see that in verse 52. It says, at this the Jews exclaimed, now we know that you are demon possessed. Abraham died and so did the prophets. Yet you say that if anyone keeps your word, he will never taste death. And then what do they say in verse 53? Are you greater than our father Abraham? He died and so did the prophets. Who do you think you are? Where is their focus? Their focus is on Abraham as the primary person that they look up to. And it's literally the same Greek phrase used in verse 53 that is used back in verse 12 of John chapter 4. But you've just got a name change. It says, are you greater than our father Jacob in John chapter 4? But here it is, Abraham, in John chapter 8. Literally the same statement is made to Jesus. And what is happening? There is a misfocus taking place. Instead of focusing in on God's son, they're focusing in on God's servant and losing that sight that they should have of the son of God. And this is a common problem that even happens today as well that people will exalt one of God's servants at the expense of exalting God's son. They should be looking to Jesus, but instead they're looking to a servant of God instead. And an example of this happening earlier this year, which seems to be me a bit of a glaring example, I'm not sure if you agree, but a glaring example of this happened just a month ago with Pope Francis. He became the first pope to address the United States Cong Congress. Immense privilege. And of course, it's not just that he's addressing them. Whatever he says to them will be broadcast around the world. He had this marvelous privilege to address the United States Congress. 
but he didn't mention Jesus Christ in his speech at all. And a popular news blog, The Federalist, commented, although he, that's the Pope, referenced multiple hot-button political issues in his speech to Congress, Pope Francis didn't mention Jesus Christ even a single time. During his remarks, which were regularly interrupted by rounds of applause from the assembled lawmakers, Pope Francis condemned the death penalty, called for better environmental stewardship, and even talked about the ills of political polarization. He did not, however, mention Jesus Christ, whose life, death, and resurrection formed the very foundation of the Christian faith. The Pope did not shy away from the Bible completely. Towards the beginning of his speech, Pope Francis discussed Moses, a pivotal figure in both the Christian and Jewish faiths. Yours is a walk, this is a quote from Pope Francis's speech, yours is a walk which makes me reflect in two ways on the figure of Moses, he said. On the one hand, the patriarch and lawgiver of the people of Israel symbolizes the need of people to keep alive their sense of unity by means of just legislation. So Moses was a great lawgiver, you guys are great lawgivers, Moses is a figure you can look up to. And then he says, on the other hand, the figure of Moses leads us directly to God and thus to the threshold of dignity of the human being. He's happen, happy to mention someone. Who is he happy to mention? Moses, who is a godly servant. He's a great figure. But what about Jesus? Shouldn't he be our focus? Yes, we can focus in on Moses, but not at the expense of Jesus Christ. And we can do the same as well. We can focus on dead men in the past, in the Bible, important figures at the expense of focusing in on the Son of God himself, the living Son of God. Abraham's faith is marvelous. Moses is a great servant, a great lawgiver. David is a hero. We need more Davids around, a man after God's own heart. Paul is a wonderful theologian. I love the Apostle Paul, and I think I've made that clear to many of you in the past. John writes so wonderfully about love. The book of 1 John is a profound gift from the Lord through the Apostle John, and I love John, the Apostle John. But what about Jesus? Abraham's good. Moses is good. David, Paul, John. But what about Jesus? And we can also wrongly focus on God's servants outside of the Bible. Dead theologians that have come and gone, Luther, Calvin, Spurgeon, I love these guys. Spurgeon particularly, he's, he's got such a wit. He was a great uh, preacher from uh, two centuries ago now, uh, from the 1800s. Marvelous man. I love reading biographies about Spurgeon. I love to focus on Spurgeon. I love to focus on Luther. He's also a funny guy at times as well. He's um, got a sense of humor that's uh, quite profound, and, uh, and he's not scared. He doesn't mince his words. Uh, Luther is an entertaining person to read, as well as someone who has profound insight into God's word. And Calvin is just this marvelous theologian, so pastoral. So much of my life has been helped by John Calvin. But we can focus in on these guys at the expense of Jesus Christ. And even modern theologians, people who are alive today. I love Mark Dever at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in the States, one of my favorite preachers alive today. I love to listen to him and his insights into uh, church life. Albert Moeller, 
another Southern Baptist. Uh, he's wonderful in the way that he can see into today's culture and commentate on it and help us to understand how as Christians we should be considering culture today. I love Albert Moller. I listen to him every day. He has this, uh, this podcast that he puts out, basically a 20-minute briefing, he calls it, uh, all, all, the, all through the week, Monday to Friday. And so I listen to Albert Moller 20 minutes of every day. Wayne Grudem is a theologian that I love. Don Carson is another theologian that I love. And I love these guys. I love to follow them. I love to read their books. But I've got to be careful about focusing in on them at the expense of the Son of God. And it may not be that you focus in too much on uh, living theologians who are further afield. You may start to focus in on the godly servants that are around you, people in your own church, maybe even your own elders. You love to consider Joel or Danny or Ray at the expense of the Son of God, which would be a great tragedy when you consider that these people, these godly servants, are the ones who point you to Jesus Christ. We can't be like this Samaritan woman and focus in on one of God's servants at the expense of God himself. We must keep Jesus in the foreground and keep God's servants in the background. They're there to point us to Christ. We must focus on the Son of God. And so I think these two mistakes that this Samaritan woman here makes, we make too. And we need to repent of having a misfocus from not focusing in on what we should because it's worse than a camera not focusing in on a condor bird. You know, we missed a marvellous shot of this bird with his wings wide open. You know, a bit of a tragedy. But it's not as tragic as focusing on God's servant at the expense of focusing only on the Son of God. If you exalt someone over Christ, it has terrible consequences. And we need to repent of that. And marvellously, Jesus Christ forgives misfocusing on him for something else. We can come before him, confess the idols that we have created, even of God's servants, and say, I've been way too much interested in this theologian or this person in the Bible and have lost my focus on you. And he forgives us. If we confess any sin to God and come to him through the work of Jesus Christ at the cross, then Christ's blood washes us of that misfocus that we've had in the past. And we are then accepted back into the fold, into God's family. Now, you may come to God and repent, and I tried to do that this week. If I tried to confess that if I focused on someone or something at the expense of Christ, please forgive me. But then you ask, how can I stop this happening in the future? How can I not be like the Samaritan woman or Nicodemus or those Jews? How can I stop that happening? Well, it's by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14 tells us, The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and cannot understand them because they are discerned 
only through the Spirit. They're discerned only through the Spirit. We cannot accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but instead consider them foolishness and cannot understand them unless we have the Spirit of God. And that's the Samaritan woman's problem. That's Nicodemus's problem. He needs that living water. She needs that living water. She needs the Spirit in her. If she is going to focus in on the right things rather than the wrong things. And so if you want to have Christ in focus, then you must have the Spirit inside you because the Spirit never loses focus of Jesus Christ. The Spirit loves to exalt the Son of God. And if you want to exalt the Son of God and not miss him, then beg God for his living water, for his Spirit to be granted unto you so that you always keep Christ in focus. Yes, we can love his servants, but we should love them because they point us to Christ and remind us to keep Christ in focus and never miss focus on something that we shouldn't have our primary concern for. Now let us come before God now and ask him for that living water. Heavenly Father, as we look at this passage, we see ourselves. We cannot look down upon this Samaritan woman because we see our own selves in her. That we will often misunderstand Christ's words and focus on the physical rather than the spiritual. That we'll often consider your servants to be greater than your son. Lord, we beg that you would give us your Holy Spirit so that this may not happen. We come before you and confess that we haven't focused where we should have in the past. And we ask for forgiveness through Jesus Christ, but we also do ask for your Holy Spirit so that in the future, we may always have our eyes firmly fixed upon Christ the author and perfecter of our faith. And we pray this in his name. Amen.